Well, g'day guys, I'm Mitch Docker and welcome to the podcast. This is Life in the Peloton. Great to have you back. It's been a couple of great months of cycling, hasn't it? We've spoken about the Tour de France. I'm sure you saw it as well, but how good have the world's been last week as well? Great, great racing. I'm almost like, as a fan of the sport, as you can hear, I love seeing this great racing and it's been fantastic to view all this. We're here back at Life of the Peloton now and I've got another great podcast for you. Of course, this year we're being brought to you by our proud partners, Rafa. I've been enjoying working with them when I was a pro at EF, but also after since I retired on the bike, but of course here at the podcast. The RCC, the Rafa Cycling Club, that's what I want to speak to you about today. It's a really cool community I've got to sort of find out about since I've retired. It's made up of chapters of clubhouses all around the world because the Rafa Cycling Club is an active cycling community of members who share the love of cycling and riding. It's really cool. It really is like that. You go to these clubhouses, there's 23 of them around the world, well, chapters as well, and they organize weekly rides. They've got a whole lot of stuff coming out of there. They've got the RCC kit as well, that cool kit. I've got myself some, and I'm an RCC member, and you rock up, and you've got those signature stripes. I'm sure you've seen it, and you feel like united with the other members. It's a really cool idea, and I'm glad since retiring, I've got to experience that now as sort of a a non-racer. Well, down to the episode this week, we're chatting to Will Gerling. Now, Will Gerling, he's the head nutritionist at EF Easy Post Pro Cycling Team. He's been in the sport for about seven years, working at all different levels of the sport. He started at continental level, moved up to Pro Conti, and he's been in the world tour. He's also worked with freelance riders as well, all on the nutrition side of things. He, he was also a personal trainer himself, so he knows how to work hard. But his actual education is sports and exercise nutrition. And in that post-grad diploma, he's got a master's degree and he's now completing his doctorate in it. He really is a wealth of knowledge. But the best thing about Will is he loves riding, bikepacking all around Spain and the UK. He's done heaps of trips. So that's what makes him the best too because he's got the knowledge but he puts it in play because he knows how to go out there and suffer and try, preach what he's telling everyone, you know, practice what he preaches, what I mean. Well, what is this episode I've got for you this week? Yes, of course, it is about nutrition, but what I wanted to talk to Will about was, let's talk about nutrition for the everyday person. People going out there, like you and me now, going to these events, doing mountain bike events, doing gravel events, or even just doing your local bunch rides or taking on challenges, I wanted him to give us some nutritional advice, some stuff that I've sort of picked up on the years of being a pro. I thought, well, if you don't know this stuff, let's just break it down and let's make it relative to people out there who are doing those things like I just spoke about. How to fuel properly, but how to fuel properly for these events. Not a world to a race because when you're a world two athlete, it's all about performance. You can recover. You've got soigneurs to make you recover, you know, get massage. You've got people sort of wrapping you up in cotton wool and protecting you. I'm not talking about that. Of course, we're going to talk and reference the world tour, but I wanted to bring it down a notch and go, what can you guys take away from this podcast that you can use tomorrow when you're heading out on your ride, that you can use next week when you're tackling those gravel events? Because it is gravel season. It is event season. I've just got back from an event on the weekend as well myself. 
I was over there in the West, in Western Australia, in a town called Geraldton. It's a new event. It was a really cool event, the Backroads Gravel. And it was really cool, not only that, just but also escaping the chilly weather that we've got in Melbourne at the moment. Because even though the locals over there thought it was cold, it really wasn't. It was blue skies, 15 degrees, just perfect riding conditions. Of course, I took with me my AG1 travel packs. And as you know, that's the way I like to start each day. And traveling with AG1 is made so much more simple with the already portion-sized travel packets. Three nights away, I just threw three packs in, easy done, no extra luggage. You know, they're, they're tiny little packets. It's so easy. It really is that simple. In the morning, I get up, I have my shaker with me, I put about 450 ml of water into it, I rip the sachet open, and I pour my AG1 in, shake it up, and that's it, drink it down. It's great when you are traveling and especially when you're doing an event to have something that you are familiar to your home routine because when you're on the road, you don't have your coffee machine there, you don't have your normal breakfast, but at least I had one thing, my AG1 to kick things off like normal because it's so easy to travel with. AG1 is packed full of vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods and probiotics. It's the all-in-one daily nutrition foundation for optimal health. And I do feel it gives me that natural energy boost, which is what I'm really looking for and needing when I head out to take on these events. It's important for me to feel good out there at these different events, like I said, but also for my general day-to-day life, AG1 really is for everyone. I'm loving it at the moment. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, the AG1 is giving you a one free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash life in the peloton. That's drinkag1.com slash life in the peloton and get yourself some guys. You won't regret it. I think you'll really like the taste too. But like I said at the start, this episode is all about taking that bit of knowledge away from you. I do like to do a little bit of a tech episode for you every so often. I haven't done that many this year, but this is one that I really did enjoy chatting with Will Girling about. He's just sort of really easy to listen to and he breaks it down very easy for you to understand. Just before we get to this episode, guys... There is another product I have started to use and I want to have a quick chat to you about it and it is called Pillar. Pillar is a sports micronutrition company started here in Australia and they're developing products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. Look, the easiest way to explain that is electrolytes, carbohydrates, they're the things that you're having out there when you're racing these events, these gravel events. They're the things that are fueling you to get to the finish line. That's not the role of Pillar. The role of pillar is micronutrition, and that's to get you to the start line the night before to make sure you're having a good sleep, to recover afterwards, to get those micronutrients back in there, to making you feel your best over and over again. Now, I've been using the triple magnesium, and I've only been using it now for the last month, and I can really see how much it has changed the sleep game for me. I'm not wearing recovery or a sleep device anymore. But what I've noticed is I really do wake up from a slumber in the morning now, like a really, really deep sleep. And I feel like I just sink into the pillow and crank out some really good Z's, if you know what I'm talking about. And I'm getting up feeling so much more rested. It's actually been really fantastic. I'm just like, well, this stuff actually does work. But if you do wear a sleep device, which tracks your HRV and sleep scores, you don't need to take my word for it because the sleep scores will tell you this stuff does work, like I said. It's really easy to drink, it tastes nice, and I've been taking it with water about 30 minutes before I go to bed each night. If you would like to try Pillar today, head across to pillarperformance.shop and use the code LITP for a 15% off your first order, or the USA listeners, head across to thefeed.com slash pillar. 
Guys, go across and get yourself some. This really is a no-brainer. Good sleep, good recovery. It's really that simple with this triple magnesium and no tricks about it. But if you're not interested in that, there's stacks of other stuff across there. So while you're over there, check that out. That's pillarperformance.shop. Guys, I'm not going to hold you up anymore. So let's dive straight into this episode and get a little bit more understanding about that on-bike or nutrition that you need for performance or for doing an event. All right, Will, pleasure to have you on the podcast, mate. It's been a few years since we've touched base, and actually, we only sort of crossed over and at the very end of my time at EF. Um, firstly, how's it been uh, working on the team the last few years? And, you know, you were there at the Tour de France, and we got to have a little chat there as well. Yeah, it was nice to bump into you, nice to catch up. Uh, and over the last few years for EF, it's been a whirlwind, that's for sure, coming in uh, to the World Tour and then trying to build a program after... You know, everything that happened with with COVID and so on. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to crack on. I do want to talk a little bit about the World Tour today, but that's not the, the point of the podcast. I think the idea of today was just to sort of intertwine, you know, what we're talking about at the top level and stuff that I learned and, of course, what you're advising now at the top level. But now I've entered a new scene, which is this, I guess, event scene, you could call it, where I'm out doing gravel events. I'm doing, you know, long sort of road rides or even mountain biking. And actually, I'm sort of questioning what, how I need to feel, but I know a lot of people are asking me, how do I feel myself around these events? And look, I'm definitely not qualified for that. I only know what works for me. Um, but that's why I thought it'd be really interesting to sort of unpack what would be the right advice for people going out and sort of attempting, I sort of threw out there about 140 kilometer gravel event or an 85 mile ride that you do. It could even be a weekend challenge that you set yourself or it could be an event because I think everything around this is, okay, obviously you want to be feeling good on the day, but then outside of that, you don't have a whole week or a whole day just to put aside to recover. You also need to think about the week coming ahead, being back home with your kids on Sunday night functioning at work on Monday morning. So all those sort of things I'm looking to unpack with you. Are you are you ready to rock and roll with that, Will? Is that something you can maybe help me out with here? Yeah, something I can definitely help you out with me. I think um, we, we can we can look into that for sure. All right, well, let's let's just start with, I guess, the big question is, you know, you're heading down there and this is something you and I were sort of discussing. How do we get around this, you know, you've got this event on the weekend and you, you're sort of trying to prepare for it. You know, when does it really start? Does it start the night before? Does it start the day before? Or the morning of when you start thinking about fueling for these events you know someone who's just attempting their first let's say gravel event on the weekend um how do we all go about this yeah i mean i think it actually starts quite a few weeks before that because when we look at the event and mm. the nutrition for the event itself that will start the day before right that starts with your carb load mm. that'll start um with you taking on that carbohydrate to make sure you're in the best state for that event but being able to manage and deal with what you're going to do on that day starts practicing in the weeks before. Right. And I'd be looking at, you know, 12, eight to 12 weeks of nutritional practice of making sure that you've tried the products that you're mm. going to use on the day, that you've tried eating the amounts per hour that you're going to have on mm. the day. And, you know, depending on the event, what kind of nutrition sponsor they have there because it might be a product that you're not used to all these kinds of mm. things tie into it to make sure that you kind of arrive and feel confident that what you're going to do is actually going to work rather than kind of winging it when you're there yeah because it sounds like to me what you're saying is 
it's not just about, it's like training your legs, training your aerobic uh, capacity. It's like training nutrition. It's it's not just suddenly the night before, oh yeah, actually I've, I haven't thought about nutrition. I might just, you know, cram in your know, 100K before the event because I haven't trained. You've also got to train your gut, your body to absorb, is it? Yeah, completely. I think it's one of those real easy errors mm. where people get a coach as well. Like they're thinking, you know, I want to take my cycling a bit more seriously. I want to do a bit more, do something longer, a, you know, a real challenge. And suddenly nutrition's kind of been left by the wayside and they arrive at the event and they haven't done anything nutritionally. And suddenly like, oh, I've got a carb load. <laughs> I'll have like some big pizza or pasta party or something in the evening and then they wake up the next day wondering why they feel super bloated um they can't eat the breakfast that they normally have and and so on and it's it's all just gone gone to you know shit because they've not done any of it well you get caught up in sort of the moment and everyone else is doing it i've even been caught up in that as a a pro rider you look across at another guy he's having another bowl of pasta you think well maybe i should have another bowl too and like what you said you get to these events and there's this free you know sports nutrition there that you go oh great i'm gonna get a free gel gels are expensive and all this stuff but actually maybe it doesn't work for you so take me through let's wind back a little bit because it's not just about you know nutrition when i think a lot of people think about nutrition it's like well i better shed some weight you know i'm getting a diet so that means i need to lose weight actually we're just talking about you fueling yourself to perform better and that doesn't necessarily about mean about losing weight it's about making your body function ideally for that event or in the preparation for that event let's wind back a little bit tell me what you're talking about and how do we implement this kind of training in a way yeah so i mean it's definitely easier if we get rid of the body composition aspect Mm. because it can be done together but there are more nuances to it because you need to think about where your calories are going to go especially when you're running a calorie deficit but if we get rid of that and just focus on fueling for performance then realistically especially for your person that is working you know five days a week has a normal job has a family Mm. so on we want to look at their biggest rides each week which are going to happen most likely on the weekend and it's in those rides where we start to look towards our end goal and if our end goal is you're doing you know five six hour event we want to perform well like you want to have a good time but you actually you know you want to feel like you've done a good effort and a good good job that you're going to be looking to those higher amounts of carbohydrates per hour which is going to be around that 90 grams per hour right right and then you need to kind of see where you are at this point what do you normally do when you go out for a four hour weekend ride with your mates uh you know you're just doing like 30 grams an hour or something and then you go for a coffee uh, stop you know and have a cake or something we need to then take you from that point of 30 grams an hour and actually move you up to 90 grams by the time that event happens using the products you're going to use at that event and so just so people understand if we can suddenly kind of visualize what we're talking about in terms of what is something that's 30 and what is something that is 90 because you know that might be also the transition of actually visually understanding what 90 grams looks like what that feels like in your pocket whether that's two gels whether that's two bananas whether that's you know, three pieces of cake, because I think that's also a hard thing that everyone doesn't understand. That's something that I also struggle with when it's not written on the packet, which is sometimes probably the easiest way to go about things, isn't it? Just to understand how much have I put into my body every hour. And one, one way that I like to do it was, you know, fill a bottle up of carbohydrate drink. And I know, okay, I've got to put one of those bottles away an hour plus a gel. 
break it down like that? If you're doing it in a piece of cake, sometimes it's difficult to know, isn't it? What does it look like, 30 grams to 90 grams in your, you know, things that you are advising even the pros now? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So an easy one is just going to be a bottle an hour with, you know, a typical drink mix is going to be around 30, between like 20 and 40 grams of carbohydrate per drink mix. A gel, which is around 25 to 30 grams as well. And then it could be a second gel or it could be a bar. And the bars are similar. They're going to be around that kind of 20 to 40 gram mark. So you're looking at one of those um, items each an hour. You could obviously do a combination, two gels and a drink, two bars and a drink. And that's something like, and when you're just rolling along at steady state, or is it you really got to be sort of tapping into that higher end sort of threshold? Or is that just something that people need to top up? Because I guess at the end of these events, you're always going to be calorie deficit, aren't you? You can't actually replace everything you put in, can you? No, definitely not. So you, you won't be able to eat enough during the ride to replace all the calories you're burning in that ride. But when we think about that whole journey towards that point, there's definitely some rides that you might do on the weekend that could be three or four hours and it could just be easy aerobic base. Mm. And maybe you don't need 90 grams an hour fully to you know achieve that session and get through it. But we also then need to think about that gut training, like you mentioned, making sure that the stomach can actually handle that level of food. Mm. And you definitely want to be doing those gut training sessions on the rides where you go out for three, four hours and you have efforts in them as well because it's when that intensity goes up that we also get complications within the stomach where blood starts to move away from the stomach to the muscle to support exercise and then you really need to get used to having something in the stomach as you're doing that. So is this something that the pros are doing, this sort of training for the gut? You know, are these guys – because I think everyone assumes – well, I think I assume too. It's like when I was training in the preseason, it was all about losing weight. And actually, we sort of detrain the gut in a way because we were sort of training fasted, or I was anyway, and things have shifted over the years too. So there was was an element of when I came back into racing, there was a big push on that gut training. Even the pros are having to – remind themselves or push the limits of how much they can absorb what sort of what sort of point are the pros getting to now to try and absorb 100 120 140 what are the upper upper ends of that scale so it's exactly the same like your training you know with the stomach it does shift and move so your uh, your stomach you know shrinks and grows your ability mm. to take on more carbohydrate will change and as you come into the off season you get that time off the bike okay. you're not going to be as used to it right so you come around to the new season we really try and recommend and get the guys to train, especially during the season and in the few weeks leading up, to do at least one, if not two, gut training sessions a week. <laughs> and that's on those bigger rides, really putting it in, you know, and, and, and enjoying a bit more of that food on the bike, right? Gut, I love that gut training session. All right, boys, big gut. <laughs> well, I do remember these rides. They were quite ridiculous because in the preseason, I really got fixated on I need to try and get rid of an extra kilo here and there or even yeah. train my, my fat metabolism system, which is, you know, we're going down a bit of a rabbit hole here. Is like trying to use fat for energy to a degree and open up those channels. Yeah. So when I came to these gut training sessions, it felt like luxury. I felt like a million bucks on the bike because I was always filled and feeling really, you know, never hungry. And I think that's the point I'm trying to put across here is that you have to feel good on the bike. 
you never have to feel to the point of feeling empty or, you know, hungry. I think at that point there, you're past it, aren't you? That point of I'm feeling empty and hungry. You've almost missed the window, haven't you? Yeah, completely. And I think you just got to look at like what you want to get out of the session. You want to enjoy that session. Mm-hmm. Like you're going out to ride your bike to enjoy it. And if you fuel yourself properly for it, you're going to feel more energized. You're going to feel stronger in the bike. You're going to feel like you're flying a bit more. And you're going to come off the back of that with a bit of a buzz. You're not going to come back absolutely ravenous mm. you know you that, that typical one where you walk in you go straight to the fridge you open the fridge <laughs> up and you're just like cane and everything from the fridge so you know the, these kinds of sessions will improve recovery they'll improve performance oh. and they'll really help your end result there and i think when we look at the guys in the peloton you know they are pushing like 120 grams an hour in some of these stages uh, and races to really help both performance and recovery afterwards Well, guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. Hearing from Will, he is the nutritionist over at EF Easy Post Pro Cycling Team, and he's breaking things down for us today, as you've found out already so far. But one thing that EF is using as well is the Wahoo Element Rome GPS bike computer. Things have changed in the Pro Peloton. Gone are those days when you'd have to memorize the race book, the climbs of the day and their profile. And I think a big reason why we've seen the shift in the speed of the Peloton and the racing style is because of things like the Wahoo Element Rome GPS bike computer. One of its great features is the summit climbing feature. It really is amazing because it uses Wahoo Element's pre-installed maps and elevation data to calculate elevation profile and to detect the upcoming climbs. Once the climb is detected, the computer will alert you about your approaching climb, the climb's profile, and also the climbs to come. It will also count you down live as you tackle the climb. It's brilliant because if you're in the world tour, that's the way you can plan these attacks. I think that's why we've seen guys just being going on the attack. They know how long to go. They also know the profile. They've got all that information right there in front of them. For me, it's a little bit more like how long to go on this climb and how steep is this thing gonna be? It's perfect if you're racing in the world tour, like I said, but even if you're navigating yourself through the next gravel event or your next mountain bike race or whatever it is, or even better is when you're out exploring on your next ride or on your next bikepacking adventure. No longer are you gonna be in the dark, turning a corner and seeing this surprise climb going, how long is it to the top of this thing? It really is a classy bike computer with many other great features and by far the longest battery life that I've experienced, a massive plus in my books. Well, let's get back to this episode and hear a little bit more from Will about understanding some nutrition. Well, let's, let's talk about now just before we get on the bike, because I think the most important thing to take out of this whole podcast at the end of the day will be fueling on the bike. But what I want to talk about is a little bit beforehand, but the night before, we've talked about the lead up and trying to train that gut. Let's talk about maybe the day before, the night before, because I remember when I was working with my coach, he opened my eyes up to, hey, it's not that meal the night before, it's not the breakfast, it's actually sort of 48 hours beforehand to start feeling like you're really putting it in and and laying those sort of layers because there was always this mentality, I always have it, it was like, oh, it's the night before, let's shovel it in, you know, it's like, well, no, if we start a couple (laughs) days before, that meal the night before doesn't have to be so epic because we've actually started loading it up before. What's that theory there? Is is the muscles absorbing the, the glycogen or how does it work over a period of time? Yeah, so exactly that. It's it's taking in a significant amount of carbohydrate that then gets converted into muscle glycogen, which is stored carbohydrate, which will improve your performance, especially at those top end efforts for the following day. And 
realistically you need at least one full day mm. to do that so yeah not just the evening before not just like piling in <laughs> for that one meal but definitely the full day starting from breakfast all day and you could also start potentially from the evening before that as well so we did see you know historically three-day carbohydrate loads were the thing to really maximally store muscle glycogen but we've seen you can actually achieve that in like a 24 36 hour period and i think that's the the best way to go with it has that whole old theory where you know you supposedly empty the whole body out drain the body out so it can absorb more carbohydrate remember that back in the old um iron man yeah is that what it was called so is that is that theory gone now what's what's the idea around that yeah yeah so you, you don't need to do that now that was the idea of fully emptying it to then the body will super compensate which is why is that and it would draw in even more and it will load the muscle even better but if you take on really easy high glycemic index based carbohydrates but just to sufficient amounts so we're looking at like 10 12 grams per kilogram body weight of carbohydrates so obviously 700 grams uh, or more for a 70 kilo rider then that's going to be really getting you towards those those top ma- amounts to store enough for the, the following day and you need to eat a little bit more if you're going to ride on that because maybe not with amateur guys or just your everyday rider but for pros they obviously do you know an hour and a half two hours the day before a race and what sort of foods are we talking about? I and mean, we always hear, um, you know, or visually say, oh, pasta's the number one rice. And everyone just assumes there's just a big truck just sort of backing in all this pasta onto the table and everyone's filling it in. It is an element, I, and I have seen that change over my career that we have shifted back to a lot more. It sounds crazy that we've gone back to carbohydrates, but there was a shift period there where there was a big focus on fats and proteins and, and carbohydrates sort of got pushed to the side. And uh, and actually yeah. we did find like, oh, actually carbs like make us perform better. So what's the shift now and what are we seeing? What would you like to see on the spread of one, a pro table, but also at, at home? What, what, would, what should people serve themselves up those two days before, you know, running through from breakfast, lunch and dinner? Yeah, I think it's a, a great question because I think it's very easily done where for the everyday individual that you want to start in the morning, like I said, from there, and you're looking to spread it through the whole day. You really want to spread it out evenly. So it's not a case of getting super, super full and bloated Mm. at a meal, especially in that evening one, because if it is so big, you (laughs) do feel it the next morning, you wake up and you're just like feeling heavy, especially because some of these events start so early, you know, it's you're getting up at like 6am or even before. So if you had a full day of rest and you were a 70 kilo rider, you're going to have that 700 grams at least of carbohydrate. And I would kind of divide that into like 175 grams at breakfast, lunch and dinner, and then having like a snack between each of them. Mm. And just after dinner of around 60 grams and that's going to spread it really nicely through your whole day it's not going to make it too unmanageable and it's going to make it quite small and easy and enjoyable and when we look at the kind of food choices i mean 175 grams for breakfast is going to be something like two slices of toast a banana some jam on that toast that you had some oats around 50 grams a glass of fruit juice and some blueberries mm. on, on your porridge. So it's, it's not actually a huge amount of food to, to kind of create that. And that's the same with those 60 gram of carbohydrate snacks. I mean, that's a, a banana and a glass of fruit juice, really. It's, it's a small bowl of cereal or something. So it's quite easy to achieve. 
Well, that's the thing, I think, and I think that's really nice how you said you can just break it up. And when you look at those little meals, and and the snacks are really key too, because I even remember myself looking for the bang for the buck, and even resorting to in the evenings as my last sort of late night sort of thing. It might sound crazy, but having a carbohydrate bitten, you know, I was like, you know what, I just couldn't fathom even having something else to eat. I just had a whole meal, so I would just use a a bottle full of carbohydrate mix, drink that. I knew I was getting a little bit of... hydration as well just because i was purely looking for the carbohydrate i didn't want to have extra protein or extra fats at that point i was just looking to top up that last minute what's your opinion on having something like that i'm not saying live off that but just adding that in for the snacks or should you stick to Uh, real foods at that point for sure no i think i think we've got to separate you know everyday diet to a performance-based diet that's maybe the day before an event and if you do want to perform well this is pretty important and using drinks is a great way to do that through the day you know Mm. if you don't want to feel super full and maybe you're not used to it and you're still getting used to the idea of carb loading and hitting that level of food you know having a drink with each meal whether it's a bid on of you know drink mix Mm. or um you know, it could be a Fanta or a San Pellegrino or something like this. You know, uh, these kinds of things are all, all the same. You know, maltodextrin in a, in a drink mix is the same as, you know, some sugar in a, in a drink there. So it will help you with the overall day without making you feel super food, super full. Well, seeing as we're talking about drinks, let's have a quick chat about fl- liquid now. Um, I guess I'll start with the bad stuff, alcohol and performance. You know, there's there's some calories in there. There's some carbs. Can't I just sink a few beers the night before? Tell me what your opinion and knowledge is about alcohol and performance because now we're not world tour and I don't mind sinking a couple of beers in every now and again around an event because it's yeah. fun. Once we get to the registration, there's a couple of beers there. After the event, there's always a beer. Maybe at the feed zone, there's a little cheeky beer too. Are these things that can really hinder our performance and what's the, the tipping point, I guess? Yeah, I think I think that is a really good question because you know most people are just wanting a beer. They're wanting to go <laughs> enjoy the ride, especially on the gravel scene, right, and the cyclocross scene. So I think for this, when we look at, alcohol and its effect i mean it's definitely going to have a diuretic effect which will make you go to the toilet more frequently which could eventually dehydrate you but if you're on top of your fluid intake it shouldn't be a problem can affect your sleep but we know you know some Mm. of the the best olympic records are set on like less than five hours sleep a night because that you know they're so nervous Hmm. before that so is that right one night yeah, yeah, they, they bet like some of these guys barely sleep the, the evening of their event. And one night of bad sleep isn't going to make the difference between mm. you making, you know, record performance and not. If that's alcohol induced, maybe it's not going to be <laughs> the best. So like, I think, you know, one or two is going to be fine. But I think more than that, you're going to start seeing a detriment to performance. Also, you see an increase in appetite with alcohol. And it's not necessarily always the best foods you should be having that day before. So, you know, it's it's a it's a toss up of, you know, one or two beers, I think will be nice. But more than that, I think it is going to affect your overall enjoyment as well of the day because you might be a little bit hanging, a bit dehydrated, you know, not enjoy the day as much. And I guess that rolls on to the, the afterwards too, because now we're talking about, like we said, the everyday Joe Blow who does have to go to work on Monday, who has to sort of perform, be the you know, the, the mother or father when they get back home to their kids. So it does work on that same side. As much as it is nice to sink a few cold ones after you've achieved that goal, you're probably at the worst situation now because your body is fatigued, it's dehydrated. I know everyone's hating me saying this, but 
what what sort of things does how does alcohol inhibit that recovery do you think like is it just the dehydration or is it the body having to work harder to process it i don't know really what what makes it as a less of a because i i asked a, a few guys recently the tour de france alejandro valverde used to have a cold beer in the bus maybe this is a myth but i love this myth and he'd have a cold beer after every every stage that he did every race because that's what he just enjoyed the relax factor but i think he capped it at one beer it's when you go further than that alcohol can be hard to process or what happens in the body yeah i think definitely there's guys at the grand tour and it does happen on the rest days um so the day before the rest day some of the guys might have a glass of wine um as well that's still you know it still happens you know that's not going to be the decider between recovering and performing especially if it's you know a full day later you know going into that rest day but when we're looking off the back of an event so you've done the event and then you're having a few beers there can be an inflammatory response there Mm. and it does depend ultimately on how well trained you are as an individual i mean valverde is incredibly well trained (laughs) he's very used to the demand whereas in somebody that's maybe doing their first you know 140k gravel race when you do such a, a large effort you get a suppression of your immune system because it's just so hard on the body and if you have that suppression of the immune system and then you do have a few beers maybe one too many uh then it is going to affect your sleep and potentially depending on where you are and how things are going it could open you up to potential infection mm. um, like a upper respiratory tract infection or something like this but you know i don't think one or two beers should still be i think all right as a, as an everyday individual you shouldn't carry over too much <laughs> i think that's what everyone wants to hear out there but um <laughs> well let, let, what about now let's talk about the good stuff hydration you know let's talk about the event and we've spoken about fueling for your for your body you know carbohydrates we haven't spoken too much about protein yet but i want to talk about the hydration is something i think gets overlooked but maybe too much i don't want to ask you this question everyone thinks they need to have something in their bottle What's, what's wrong with good old-fashioned water these days? And what are we? What should we put in the bottle? Is it just that combination of, you know, we spoke about carbohydrates, but there's an element of, you know, electrolytes that need to make the, the muscles function, I guess. You know, that's sort of, from what I understand, that's the, the almost the, the linking chain. Um, yeah. Tell us about how important is hydration and what sort of levels are we talking about here, water, electrolytes, and so on? Yeah, I think you could look at this from a few different levels. I think the easiest one is to look at the duration of your event and then potentially the heat of it. Mm. If it's less than two hours, you know, what we've seen from research is just ab libitum drinking, drinking to thirst essentially is fine because the duration of the event isn't long enough for you to really see a detriment of performance if you enter it in a, you know, a properly hydrated state. But if you start going beyond two hours, then the potential effects of dehydration are greater. So, because as exercise duration increases, the potential for dehydration also increases. At least aiming for like a bottle an hour is worthwhile. And I think when we then look at choices of water and combinations, we know that sodium or electrolyte mixed with water will increase your ability to absorb the water. Mm. So it actually becomes more hydrating. Hmm. And then if you add carbohydrate on top of that, it will do it further. So carbohydrate will cause you to draw more water on as well. So it actually hydrates even more than water on its own. Those things are really beneficial. 
And it's once again, what you're looking to achieve. If you're just out for a, a ride with your mates and stuff, like having just water or someone, it's not going to be the end of the world, especially if you're getting carbohydrate from gels or bars or, you know, real food sources. But, you know, there's some DIY uh, drink mixes you can do on the road, which, you know, I can talk about as well. Yeah, uh, we'd love to hear about those because I think everyone is, you know, not always up for just going out and buying the the latest drink mix, you know, it can cost a fortune. And I always love experimenting with what I've got on hand as well to make up a bit of a cocktail mix. What, what do you, what if you on hand, what, what's a good little DIY? If you're stopping at like a, a gas station, petrol station or a cafe or something, you can just get a can of any kind of soda, you know, Fanta, Coke, whatever. Coke probably won't taste good watered down. But if you have a bit on, you put in uh, a Fanta, let's say for this instance, it's going to be around 30 grams of carbohydrate. Top it up with water. That's going to make it um, around a 3% solution, I think, which is very great for hydration mm. as well as carbohydrate. And if you're at a cafe or something, you can grab a, a salt sachet um, huh. to put on your food, which is about one gram of salt, which is around 400 milligrams of sodium, which is around the same as most electrolyte tabs that you buy. If it's particularly hot as well, like that salt will taste really good as well. That's great, you know, like because I think it can get over complex, can't it? You know, like just break it yeah. down. That's all it is. That's all you really need, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. I think, and you could really get, you could get through loads, loads of rides like that. Like that's a really quick, easy thing you can do on the road anywhere near enough. And you know, it's the same thing with like other things you can buy from petrol stations, like cereal bars and so on. And that's a really good one, especially if you're out, you know, doing a bike packing adventure now and you're thinking about carrying all this extra sort of hydration product with you and you're trying to squeeze everything in you're like i need my hydration stuff i can't live without this you know on the road it's like well hang on i think i can probably yeah. make this do at, a, like you said at, at a petrol station or whatever you know i've done the same i've done big bike packing trips riding through spain and so on where it's like you know, 35 going on towards 40 degrees and i just use salt on the, on the way stop at these you know little um taverna or whatever and just grab some salt sachets chuck it in the bid on so that, that's good enough really because it's the sodium that's the main electrolyte that you lose and i think a big question uh, point that comes back to your original question was you know is water just okay if we look at it in the heat especially we have let's say a starting resource of salt mm. and then as we sweat we lose salt and water if we don't replace that sodium and then, but replace water, the water increases and the level of sodium that we had that's here then gets dispersed over that greater volume of water. So you actually start to dilute mm. your sodium concentration. And that's where you can start to eventually get issues down the line of things like hyponatremia, uh, which is why it is still important, especially in the heat over longer durations, to still have that electrolyte. Can you go too far with salt? Yeah, definitely. If you have way too much electrolyte, I think this is such a super common thing because cramping seems to be still so linked with electrolyte, which it really isn't. You know, the mm. research really shows that it's more to do with exercise intensity and effort that you're probably not used to rather than electrolyte, though it can contribute towards it. And I think people put significant amounts of electrolyte and and sodium in their drinks and that can cause gi you know stomach issues because it gets backed up because too much salt will then slow down the transition of fluid through the gut and that's where it can then get backed up and you get a bit sick so is it back to the old what you feel like because i i of, often feel like i need some some salt on my food or i need some salt um not necessarily my drink but i need some kind of flavor like you you get this craving 
Um, and is that your yeah, body yeah. telling you that that's what you need rather than just trying to shovel it down, even though you're not feeling like it? Should you just go back to your instincts or what's the best way to tell what you need? It's definitely worthwhile listening to yourself and also looking for telltale signs of like, if you are a particularly high sodium loss, you know, sweat loss person, because we do this testing for the guys at the team, like I do this for all the guys, find out who's got high sodium loss rates and who's got low. And we've got a spectrum of somebody that loses 180 milligrams per liter all the way up to, you know, 13, 1400 milligrams per liter. Mm. So it's a huge range. Mm. And if you're getting those simple telltale signs of, loads and loads of salt lines on your you know cycling bibs Lo- loads of like crustiness around your eyes and on your face from sweating you know that you should probably maybe have a little bit more sodium in your drink and it's just that little bit more important and adding a bit of extra salt with your, your meals especially as it starts to come around to spring and summer your end or you know summer here already that a little bit extra won't be a bad thing and are we talking about, you know, good sort of Maldon sort of flake, you know, sea salt, or are we just talking about the packet stuff? Like you said, it doesn't matter, or should you should you search for the good stuff? I think it's, it's never wrong to search for the good stuff. I think I don't know too much, to be honest, about the minerals, the extra benefits of Himalayan pink salt over, <laughs> let's say, normal table salt. But if we look at it from a sodium perspective, you know, either or is just as good. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, and I think what it's, tell me about afterwards, because this is something that was really big um, in all the teams that I road for is that post-race you know rehydration um and where that sort of lays and how let's just say we are doing a multi-discipline event you know it could be a a mountain bike event i've done multi-discipline ones of those and i've done bike packing as well tell me a little bit of how we can rehydrate ourselves if we're not doing the world tour racing and how important that is for the next day how do we how much can we actually absorb and is it just about getting it in because you did speak about hyperglycemia or what's it called when you overhydrate a hyponatremia. Sorry, hyponatremia. Yeah. If you're doing like a multi-day thing, obviously these things become significantly more important, right? Like you've got another day of riding, you know, to get through. And when you get off the bike, definitely aiming to get like a 1.5 liter bottle of water in you off the back of that, because you're never going to get enough fluid on the bike, right? Like let's say you, you lose a liter an hour, you're not going to be able to always drink. And it's really not kind of recommended to try and match your loss rate because it's your stomach's going to be so full and bloated just from the amount of fluid. And it's going to be hard to always get you know a liter to drink an hour. You'll be topping up your bottle all the time. Mm. So you, know, you go off the back of that and then you start that rehydration process. And I think a 1.5 liter bottle with some electrolyte or salt or whatever in it or some carb mix will be the ideal choice uh, just to, drink and it doesn't need to be all at once you'll take on that water a bit better if you then steadily drink that over like the next hour hour and a half and is it that same theory like you said you know have a little bit of carb in there as well because it's going to help you absorb it and plus you're thinking about your re you're refilling those muscles for the next day too for sure yeah exactly you know you're looking at replacing all that stored carbohydrate you've burnt during that ride and if you are doing another ride the next day that you want to make sure that you've got sufficient amounts in there to support you that following day and some of these rides especially on these bikepacking trips or events you know or daxes and so on where you finish super late mm. and if you're you know supporting yourself as well you don't get much time between finishing that ride and starting the next one so that window afterwards of it's around four hours where you really maximize carbohydrate into muscle glycogen it is significantly more important 
No, well, let's speak about that window. I'm glad that you brought that up because I always had this idea that it was this 20-minute secret window. You know, you got to really get it in in that first 20 minutes. But you're actually saying it is up to four hours. And if anyone sort of misses that too, because you can be packing your bike in your car, jump in there. I just got to get back home. By the time you get back home, it's get something in. It is really important to be prepared and have something prepared at home or with you just to sort of get that meal in. Is it just in that immediate sort of 30, 20, 30 minutes, or is it in that four hours? Tell us about after the after the event, after the race. Yeah, for sure. So I think a great example is just using the, the, the guys in the EF, right? Because what we recommend for the guys is they, they come back on the bus, they immediately have like a tart cherry juice drink supplement, which is, helps with inflammation and muscle recovery uh, for them afterwards. You don't have to have that as an everyday individual, but you could have you know your recovery shake which is protein is what we use uh, we don't have carbs mixed with it then we recommend the guys just have some like haribo and some fruit juice some really fast acting acting carbohydrates that are going to go right into the system going to be absorbed really easily not going to be slowed down and can go straight into the muscle they can then go have that shower get changed settle in actually get back to their seat and it's at that point you know half an hour 45 minutes later where then they can get that bus food mm. and that's where you can have the actual meal start having that rice that pasta um to then start and continue or continue that recovery process i think the same thing with people doing their own races and events have something with you at the car when you arrive back have that you know protein recovery drink with some simple sugared carbohydrates things that you enjoy as well because it's not going to be a problem uh, in terms of like insulin or anything like this, it's, it's just going to go straight to the muscle. Um, and then, you know, get yourself home and then have something proper. And and the protein you brought, um, and that's something that, you know, we always see the the pros and I experienced it myself. They got the protein shaker straight after the event. You know, they're, they're downing that. Tell me a little bit about protein now and sort of where that lies. Is it something that you need to have immediately? Because there was times where I was also having it as I was going to bed that you know maybe it was a, a good yeah. time for the body to absorb it when i was sleeping i don't know was that even right is it after the race is it late at night when's the best time to get the protein in now yeah so realistically for the protein the most important thing is the total amount of protein over the whole day right and as a high exercising individuals as a professional or somebody that's training 10 15 hours a week you want to be looking towards that kind of two grams per kilogram body weight so let's say 70 kilo rider again you know 140 grams a day i would just spit that through your day you know looking to get it every four hours or so so you have breakfast have some protein there that can be from eggs yogurt a protein supplement to mix in with those with your porridge or whatever and then you do your rides or event and then you have that protein supplement afterwards. And that's not essential. I think if you're doing multi-day events, things like that become a little bit more important because it is faster absorbing. It is going to increase your ability to recover a bit, starting a bit quicker. But as an everyday individual, you could just have a protein-based meal mm. afterwards, and that would also be fine. But total amount is most important because even if you get that timing right after the ride, if your total amount for the day isn't enough, and I think, I like to use like building bricks as, as mm -hmm. an analogy for it because protein are those bricks to build cells, recover muscle, and actually to rebuild those damaged walls. And if you don't have enough bricks, it doesn't matter if you've got the best bricks, you know, at the right time. If you don't have enough of them, you still can't build hmm. the wall back. So look at that total amount and then 
yeah start to look at those uh those timings but the the pre-bed one you mentioned mm. is is really good with the casein the slow digesting protein to release more bricks steadily whilst you're asleep does improve muscle recovery yeah right oh good i'm glad i was doing that and even though i probably didn't really feel it that much I, it's good to know that i was <laughs> trying to put the things in place Let's talk about when you go too far. And that's something that I've done myself. And um, it's very hard to come back from. You've, you haven't fueled yourself properly. You hit this thing called a hunger flat. And I just want to ask you, what is a hunger flat? And what's that feeling? You know, we always talk about it, but you know, maybe some people haven't experienced it themselves or maybe they have, they just didn't know what was going on. Tell me what happens during a hunger flat and what, uh, what is the road back if there is one? certainly in the day of the event, or even if it's a multi-day, how long does it take to start to get those, you know, muscles fueled again? I mean, by hunger flat, you're, you're talking about bonking, aren't you? Really? Yeah, like, I just, yeah, you just haven't eaten enough and you've just got nothing yeah. left in your system. So, I mean, if you've completely run empty, what you can do is obviously take on more carbohydrate. It will bring your blood sugar level. Because what's happened is your blood sugar levels run, run low. You are having a hypoglycemic event like you, know, you spoke about earlier, and you're just not able to support exercise performance anymore. What it can also mean is that your, your muscle glycogen is also run empty. So if you're doing really hard efforts and you're trying to do VO2 max based efforts, realistically, you're not going to have the juice to squeeze anymore, you know, and it's, it's just not going to be there. Is that because your, yeah. your muscles are empty of glycogen or that that pathway for the moment is is the blood sugar's low what what is causing yeah that? so it, it's it's two different things really is that when you look at those really high-end efforts those vo2 max efforts that you know where you're really pushing that those are mainly fueled by muscle glycogen because it's the fastest most readily available energy and that's why it's needed in those hardest efforts but if you're going at like kind of tempo and around there or below, then you can use just blood glucose, which is where taking on that carbohydrate can still support you. So mm. if you have a hunger flat and you're out with the mates and you're just doing a normal ride, you can come back from that, you can hmm. bring blood glucose back up and you can continue the ride. But if you're looking to do some efforts and you're in a race and you completely bottom out, you're going to be able to bring back blood glucose so you can keep going and do a certain level of effort, but you're, you're going to lose out on that top end if you mm. run completely empty. Interesting. So. Yeah, right. So, and, and the blood the blood glucose, as you talk about, is simply having a, a sugary drink that it can just be e easily yeah. absorbed, sucked straight in either through the your mouth even probably, couldn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, you know, that would just be through drinks, bars, gels. Something that's rapid is obviously going to bring it back to normal a lot quicker. And also if you bring exercise intensity down a little bit, it will recover a bit quicker. But I think this is like one of the biggest, I think, misconceptions or myths that I kind of come across a lot is about this kind of sugar crashing mm. and that having like sugary items on the bike causes these sugar crashes. But what's actually happening is that people aren't, having enough carbohydrate frequently enough mm. and what they're doing is like they're out riding they're feeling good they have like a, a crash that's where blood glucose comes down they'll take on like a sugary item and it'll come back up right and they start to feel good again but if they don't then bring it back up and maintain it and mm. keep having food choices to keep that maintained they'll come back down again and you start this roller coaster of just going up and down up and down and that's where they, they feel like they're just always doing that Mm, really interesting. It's really interesting because I can look back on many mistakes that I've made throughout my career and continually to make now as, as I'm, I'm heading out to these events and just thinking that I'm, you know, stronger than the world and I can just, it's simple, it's simple fueling. Um, 
Look, I think, I guess we can sort of get to the last sort of points here. Um, some simple tricks to remember as everyone's sort of coming in. I think a, a real point here is that where the fueling around it is not just literally on the day, wake up in the morning and start thinking about fueling. It, it, we, we need to start thinking about it from a long way out. What can you sort of advise us here, looking back on sort of what we've discussed now and what you learned, I guess, working with the boys in the World Tour um, and also from your own experiences out riding, some simple takeaway points that you like to have and like to like to pass on um, to the riders or people that you're advising going into these events or going into races around about fueling and the stuff that we've spoken about. Let's just bust through a few of those then. I think train the nutrition that you're going to have for the event. Check the nutrition sponsor for the event and see if it- if you're going to use it and it agrees with you on your carb load avoid red meat high fiber foods high fat foods and spread it out through the day then i think oh well, 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 well before you go any further you've opened up a can of worms we got it we, we got okay i think everyone's sitting here going whoa, whoa, whoa no red meat we haven't spoken about this yet now we've got to talk about this because this is something just before we we move on no red meat. Tell us about that and, and why, and it's something I experience as well racing, is that we do avoid a lot of red meat when we're on the race, especially in uh, EF. They were really big on that. And, you know, I only learned about that towards the end of my career. Tell us a little bit about that theory. Yeah, it, def- it sits a lot heavy in the digestive system. It takes a lot longer to, to digest and move through the body. And it can make you feel heavier uh, the following day. And you know on, on the, you know, the world tour that you get dinner pretty late sometimes Mm. and when that digestion is a lot longer and a lot harder that can then disturb sleep and it can cause you not not to go uh, into as quick a deep sleep and and impair that recovery process so we do typically stay away from it introduce it on the day you know just before the rest day so you get to enjoy you know that meal that steak that hamburger whatever we we cook for you guys uh but that's definitely one to avoid it also will make you feel a lot more full as well mm. which can be a problem because if you feel more full you're less likely to have a lot more of the carbohydrates and typically comes with a lot of high fat as well which will also add to your calories for the day which can affect body composition long term but won't actually improve performance the following day. And also, what about raw foods? You know, something that I used to get drawn towards in a grand tour because I just sort of felt like I wanted to eat something fresh and green because it's something I enjoyed. But actually, it sounds weird. It wasn't really highly recommended because when we're talking about just pure fueling, that was a lot more energy for my body to digest. Is that even true? Um, I think... There is a lot of truth, not always for like fruits or things like this, but you know, definitely a lot of vegetables where the process of cooking and heating an item makes the nutrients within it more ava- biolly, mm. uh, bioavailable. You actually can break it down and take on more of those nutrients. Um, at a grand tour, I think, or as a professional, it, it's going to be more towards also how full you feel of having like a carrot or something like this. I think you know how much you've got to eat in on those days and... The guys like it simple. They like it plain Mm. food. They don't really want too much flavor. They just want easy eating food that you can just pack away. I don't know if that was the same for you when uh, (laughs) when you were doing it. Well, it was weird because, you know, maybe it was because of the body composition thing, but we used to always get a big salad sort of served up and I would always be going over there and getting a big, big plate of salad. And I remember a couple of guys going to me, mate, that's wasted space. That's wasted space. You're not getting any calories out of that. But I think I just got to the point at the end of a a grand tour, in the middle of a grand tour, I just sort of felt like I just didn't want to eat, you know, anything sweet or anything sort of 
mildly processed. I wanted to bring it back. Yeah. And that's what I was craving, regardless of the energy sort of intake. Maybe I was sort of inhibiting myself for the next day, but I knew that I just sort of felt good about it. And I'd push the carbs in a bit later on. A lot of the guys track their food now at races uh, in the team. And I think if that salad isn't stopping you from hitting your you know, total requirements for the day, then I think it's more than fine. And we still serve salad, obviously, with meals and vegetables mm. and so on. But we try to make them you know, as easy to, to enjoy and digest as possible. What are some of the, new, the latest sort of trends that you're seeing move through the peloton at the moment, whether you agree or disagree with them at the moment? Latest trends? I don't, I don't think there's, there's too many. Obviously, the last couple of years was all about kind of ketones. And the research behind that really isn't there to mm. support that. And it's so expensive as well. And a lot of... Um, Synthetic ketones. Yeah, yeah, exactly, like external ones. And the, the, the research really isn't there to show that it has a significant improvement on performance. And I think um, that's one that's that's spoken about quite a lot recently. I think the most recent thing that's kind of come out is like Morton's bicarb system. Mm. But, you know, from the research that I've been doing with the guys and some, you know, blood testing of like blood bicarbonate testing seeing how the those levels go up after taking it it, it seems really effective and it does last for a long period i think it would be worthwhile for a, a solo event like a gravel ride if you're really wanting to perform in in i guess in you open up another can of worms there and in a couple of words just quickly explain the morton product there because it's something that was it's pretty new on the market um and it's pretty sort it's of re- as well, eh? yeah, revolutionary isn't it yeah it is i mean Sodium bicarb has been around for a long time, right? It's been used on the track. It's been used in cycling for a long time as a lactate buffer to help you perform harder for those efforts, in, you know, in, in that range. You know, the, the Morton product has been designed to be able to continually release bicarb over a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. Whereas traditionally you just take the capsules and it will only last, you know, maybe a couple of hours, three hours, depends on the person. There is some variation and once you've used it as well it doesn't necessarily come back up whereas with the morton bicarb system it is about taking it on and you can do an effort and then your bicarb levels will lower because it's been used for the effort but then later on the ride it'll they'll come back up and can be used again and this is where that kind of research is coming in i think more research is still needed but definitely some of the best performances by ben this year, Ben Healy and the team, mm. he's used that product and feels great off it. It's definitely a mixed bag of how people feel on it. You know, some people feel really good and some people feel, I guess, not not as good. Yeah, I was just about to say, it, it sort of follows true with a, a original bar, bicarb loading. You know, it, some people really responded yeah. very well off bicarb loading and could load on it really well. And other people just you know, had a very upset stomachs from it and just didn't respond well to it. But it's almost like an extension of that, except it's gone to the next level, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think it's still need to consider the following day. If you are doing another race day, um, is it got a lot of elevation gain? Because you will retain water on it. Mm. So, you know, that will bring the weight up, which will make that climbing harder. So that, that needs to be considered. But if it's a one-day event, you do really want to focus on performance. And I think it's something to consider maybe. But it's like 75 euros for four pack four packets, which is like, <laughs> it's, it's quite a lot. You've got you to gotta weigh up what event and what what the event really does mean to you. But I guess, I guess if you're not pushing yourself that deep and maybe it can help in recovery i guess maybe if you're just sort of like wanting to feel better after the event not not pushing that deep but you probably are you doing less damage on the muscles that's that's an interesting question yeah i guess theoretically you potentially could because you're going to buffer lactate Mm. at a higher rate 
which while lactate is an energy source, it may mean that you won't have to push as hard or go as deep within that, uh, which could you know, reduce the inflammation within the muscle. Right, we could just keep chatting. You're a scientist yourself, mate. Uh, you just... I'm just getting a big payout by Morton after this podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, do, exactly. I do really like their product. Um, no no sponsor, sponsor agreement there, but I do really like using it. I used to like racing with them. Um, mate, I could talk to you all day, but I know you've got stuff to do and it's been great stealing a bit of your time today. Just lastly, before you go, tell me a little bit about what do you really enjoy about doing the job and do you still enjoy being on the team and sort of being at the top level in in cycling and understanding, like I said, working through the weeds of the trends and what's working and working with the different athletes. It's a big question, but tell me what is life like on the road as a team nutritionist? I think you know as well, like life on the road is is tough. It is hard. Um, It is stressful, but there are great rewards when you do win and you do perform well. You know, I love that. I do love the job because Mm. I like being able to support all the guys and to see some of the stuff that we're putting together actually get put into action and how it's developed over the last you know few years of me being at the team but i like it most of all when i get that time to work with the riders and the guys and then see their progress and see how much better they're performing you know like james shaw this year working Mm. with him really closely the last the last year to get him in the best shape he's ever been competitively and then for him to get selected for the tour de france for that i mean for me that was huge and i was you know really proud of being able to work with him on that and that's the same for a bunch of the guys you know ben healy as well i work with him really closely and and seeing um andre as well amador all these guys getting into like incredible shape and performing really well and like seeing this like realization of wow like nutrition this way actually has really helped me so i think that's the most rewarding part and it's amazing for he to hear you say that because not only did james shaw get in the tour team he performed awesomely there and andre amador as an old pro to come in and and sort of reinvent an old pro who's been down stuck in his ways of probably you know for 10 15 years that's also a really hard challenge as well and of course Ben Healy, you know, say no more. If you haven't been watching any cycling race, you've seen the the new superstar there. So bloody awesome to uh, have a chat with you. And I hope everyone can take a little bit more away. I feel like this is part one because we really just scratched the surface and we're going to come back. I'm just sort of looping you in here, mate. We're going to come back another time next year (laughs) and uh, go a little bit deeper. Awesome. Yeah, I would love to, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. Thanks, mate. Well, I you know I thought I knew a lot about nutrition because I just picked it up over the years. Believe it or not, I did study nutrition at university. Would you believe it? But that was many moons ago, and I've actually forgotten my whole degree. I'd probably have to go back and repeat the whole thing. But as a pro athlete, you pick up a lot along the way. Some good things, some bad things. But I still learned stuff today talking to Will, and I'm sure everyone out there took a lot away from that episode because I still took some stuff away myself. I love that idea of making the cocktail up while you're out there on the road. You don't need to have the primo products with you all the time. It's about just having those simple things, the sugars and the salts, to make up a mini sort of electrolyte drink to get you through. Will's a great chat and I can tell you he's probably going to be back on the podcast sooner than he wants. I really enjoyed chatting with him and I hope you guys enjoyed listening to him too. Big thanks goes out to Rafa, our partner in the podcast, Will Jones, who puts these episodes together for me. The Life in the Peloton team as well, Megan Spurlow behind the scenes. 
you guys for listening. Next week, we've got the communique, the race communique is coming back to you after big demand. Everyone seemed to love that. So, I'm going to keep it rolling for the end of the season. We've got two more left this year. We're going to chat about the what is going on in the world tour at the moment because it's so easy. It's so interesting. So, let's kick that off next week. I'll have the communique for you. So, guys, until then, cheers. The music in this episode was composed by Pete Shelley. Cheers, mate.